HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Route 11 Potato Chips. Made with a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. For more information, visit www.rt11.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good afternoon and welcome. This is What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights with me, your host, Katie Kiefer. And I have in studio today a special guest, uh, my fellow host on Heritage Radio Network, Sari Kamen, is joining me for this interview. Um, we're going to be talking about the poultry industry with Daisy Freund of the ASPCA. Um, Daisy is the Senior Manager of the ASPCA's Farm Animal Welfare Campaign, and in her role, Daisy works to raise public awareness about factory farming practices. Boy, they hate it when you call it factory farming. You know that, Daisy, right? And I improve- do. <laughs> <laughs> and improve the lives of farm animals in the U.S. through consumer education, legislative advocacy, and farmer outreach. She is especially focused on driving increased transparency in the food system to allow consumers to make choices based on facts and elevating farmers' voices as advocates for more humane methods of farming. Daisy joined the ASPCA in 2012, bringing to the job a diversity of experience in food systems and communications, including farming, restaurant management, public relations, and journalism. And Daisy, you're another one of those chicks that just makes me feel so bad about myself when I read your bio. <laughs> it's just like, no I way. could just as well <laughs> crawl into a hole. <laughs> anyway, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, now, you and Sari and I have all met about a campaign initiative that the ASPCA launched recently called The Truth About Chicken. So why don't you give us a little thumbnail of that and tell us what's going on with it? Sure. So, you know, I think, thank you for having me, first of all. Sure. Um, and, you know, I think the, the the impressive statistic to start with here is that it really, it used to take about 112 days for a chicken to reach two pounds, and now it takes around 42 days to reach yeah. six pounds. So that's a third of the time for three times the bird. And unfortunately, that comes with a lot of welfare sacrifices. So, the ASPCA is urging the chicken industry and consumers to move away from these really super-duper fast-growing chickens 
um, to try to lessen some of their suffering. And that's a result of a lot of polling that we've done, a lot of, um, you know, thinking we've done about where we can have the most impact. And we're talking about nine out of the 10 billion animals killed for food every year in this country being those meat birds, or nine billion of them. Yes. Um, and, you know, Americans are showing they want food that's um, from animals raised humanely and that's safe to eat, but the modern chicken industry is a result of these breeding practices and also the way they're actually keeping the birds um, is kind of turning their back on those values. It's pretty, um, we say that it's cruel, unhealthy, and basically gross, the way that these birds are um, bred and raised, and it's at the expense of chicken and people. Um, they're, you know, they're collapsing uh, from this enormous amount of weight. They're suffering from lameness, sores on their feet, uh, shortness of breath. And because, the, because of that collapse and the fact that they spend most of their lives lying in their waste, it's increasing the risk of foodborne illness potentially, um, which is already higher in poultry than in any other uh, meat. But because government oversight and business oversight is pretty much non-existent, um, we're really engaging consumers and producers to try to advocate for change and switch to chickens who are a little slower growing and have more space, um, better lighting, enrichment in their sheds, uh, and have an overall better quality of life. Well, a lot of the poultry industry, for, let's, let's talk about for a second about the breeding practice, about the fact that what we're using here is uh, pretty much throughout the poultry industry for meat birds is something called the Cornish cross. And um, what is the alternative to that? I mean, since that has become just as the long, you know, the long white pig became the other white meat, the Cornish cross is pretty much all there is in industrially uh, raised uh, chickens. So who, you know, how, how are you encouraging the industry to even switch over to another uh, breed or breed in uh, better genetic traits? And secondly, how much does it cost for them to extend the life of a chicken and how much is that going to impact consumers? Well, for the first question, you know, I think um, leading up to this campaign, we've done a ton of research and spoken to a lot of farmers, and you're right that the vast majority of chickens, even, you know, a lot of those that are labeled organic, um, sometimes even those with various humane labels, um, depending on, on whether it's third-party certified or not, most of them are those fast-growing Cornish cross. So it's definitely pervasive, and it's the norm, and we're working um, to change the norm. But the that smaller, you know, portion of the industry is raising a slower growing bird. We've talked to a lot of farmers. Um, I think I'm thinking right now of David Pittman out in California. Um, he does Mary's chickens and we spent a lot of time on his farm and talking to him and he raises all different kinds of birds, some of the Cornish because um, unfortunately there's still demand, but he absolutely loves raising these slower growing birds um, and he has found a serious market for them and um, and some of these, you know, like the, the higher level um, GAP certifications, animal welfare approved, those are already slower growing birds. Um, I think it's really a matter of educating the consumer and, and creating more of that demand because the more people start to, um, you know, find out about our campaign, sign our petition on truthaboutchicken.org, um, people are, are really looking for those alternatives and seeking them out, um, and we're trying to make sure that we can point people to them. Um, and then we're working with industry to make the shift. It's already happening in Europe, which is really encouraging. There's um, the Label Rouge and um, RSPCA, which is the, the Royal Society. Um, they've, they've already got slower-growing chickens as part of their requirements for a humanely raised bird, a more humanely raised bird. So, you know, there's the stock, the genetic stock is there. It's just a matter of convincing this industry that um, consumers care about it. And 
What's also encouraging is that we did a survey leading up to the campaign, and we found that 7 in 10 consumers said they were willing to spend more money, significantly more money, on um, a more humanely raised chicken, slower growing, after they had gone through the process of um, thinking about, you know, what's going on right now after we exposed them to our campaign. About 7 out of 10 said that they were willing to spend a little more money. And granted, it is going to cost a little more. You're talking about um, taking more time to get to the final product and, um, you know, a little bit less birds per shed. But there are um, not just welfare costs to raising birds the way they are now, but there's human health costs, and we're paying for them one way or another. So we really feel like um, people are pretty eager to spend a little more and get get more value. That makes sense. Sarah, you had a question, right? Yeah, I do. Hey, Daisy, this is Sarah. Hey, Sarah. Hey. Um, so I'm just really curious because I don't really understand that the way, um, you know, the industry can sort of change knowing that uh, the way that these chickens have been bred is so deeply embedded into their genetics at this point. How does that become reversed in terms of um, the industry changing their practices if they're still relying on the same kind of, if they're, seeing, if they're using the same kind of birds? Well, actually, what we're talking about is um, a slightly different kind of bird. Um, so they're taking... Um, a little bit more time to grow, and it is a, a different kind of genetic strain. Um, we're not really talking about reversing uh, the current situation. There's a variety of breeds that we've looked into that range from, you know, a little bit longer time to quite a bit longer. As you know, there's the heritage breeds, and those those um, take a, a number of months to raise. But what we're talking about is um, sort of an incremental change, but it's still a different uh, bird. At the same time, um, you know, the people who are raising them have ta- told us that they ultimately weigh about the same amount. So um, it's, it's kind of a focus on a more gradual growth rate, which means that the birds are able to develop muscle in a more natural way. Um, they end up uh, being stronger, having stronger legs, better internal organs, um, better metabolism, immunity. They're just kind of an overall healthier bird because they're not packing that weight on really early on in their lives. Right. Um, Daisy, a minute ago you alluded to the uh, the public health uh, issues that surround uh, the Cornish cross as a you know dominant breed in the poultry industry. Let's let's connect the dots a little bit about that. How you know, I know you're saying that they're they're lying in their own ways because they really can't walk once they get to slaughter age. Um, right. you know, talk a little bit more about how that uh, that connects to the prevalence of salmonella and also the many multi-drug resistant strains of salmonella that have emerged over the last decade. Yeah, I mean, when we started this, we knew there was a connection, but in, in, in researching this campaign and reaching out to all kinds of, of public health groups, we're starting to see that it's one big vicious cycle and the connections are, um, are even more multifold. CSBI, um, Center for Science and Public Interest, they had a, a risky meat report and they found that between um, 1998 and 2010, chicken caused more outbreaks and illness than any other meat. You have to sort of wonder what's going on there. And like you said, these birds are spending the majority of their lives lying down, not just because they can barely walk um, or lift their own weight, but because they're so crammed into these sheds. Um, you know, the industry standard at this point is um, is around 0.7 square foot per bird by the time they're full weight. So that's like an 8.5 by 11 um, sheet of paper per bird. Right. They're just crammed in. They really can't move anyway. Um, and when you breed them to be so obese that they spend their lives lying in their fecal matter, that's where all the bacteria is. So you have found a lot of studies that show that um, this is contributing to the, to the high rates of salmonella and campylobacter that are arriving in the slaughterhouse because these birds are physically dirty when they get there. They're covered in their own waste, and these, the exposure to this, 
to that um, fecal matter causes these open sores. Like they, they're, it's called um, foot pad dermatitis. So open wounds on their um, feet, on their breast, breast burns, and those are they can act as gateways for infection. We found. Um, and we know that the level of fecal matter on a carcass is directly related to the level of pathogen on the farm. Mm-hmm. Um, we know these birds spending their lives causing in their own filth, which has caused open wounds. We also know that stress lowers immunity, and these birds are clearly under stress. Um, and that there's this kind of zero-sum paradigm with chickens where, and with most creatures on Earth where if you're really focused on growth, it's going to come at the expense of immunity or reproductivity. Um, and in these chickens' case, you know, they've, they're huge. They've got these huge breasts because um, that's really where the consumer demand is. Um, right. But their hearts and their internal organs are about the same size. So their, their immune system is very, very weak comparatively. Um, and then really to get to what you were saying about the antibiotic resistance, it, we, there's a way of talking about antibiotics on farms that they're propping up a sick system. In this case, I think, you know, antibiotics are literally propping these birds up. Without them, the death rate is much, much higher unless you really change um, the conditions for these birds. You can't just yank the antibiotics out because they're so weak and they're so immunologically compromised um, that in order to, to remove the antibiotics, you would need to have a slower-growing, more healthy bird raised with more space so there's not as much exposure to, you know, to feces and to bacteria. Um, and that's why that's really what our campaign is all about, is creating a more healthy set of conditions um, so that the antibiotics really are not there to prop them up um, as a requirement for the birds to survive in the first place. And we're, we're digging ourselves into a hole, as you know, with the antibiotic overuse. Um, and so it goes back to, um, you know, figuring out why do we have such sick birds? Well, we have such sick birds because they're growing at this monstrous pace right now. Go ahead, honey. Okay. Uh, Daisy, I was wondering, why, in your opinion, do you think that the USDA has taken such a passive role in interfering um, with these factory farms even after salmonella cases have been released. And for example, the Foster Farms case, which, you know, over 400 people got salmonella that was traced back to their factories, the USDA still didn't shut down the plant. It just it just seemed so black and white what was happening there. Why do you think that is? Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not able to comment necessarily on why the USDA didn't shut down that plant, um, but we really feel like there's, there's clear loopholes here, especially when it comes to chickens. Um, it feels like you know all the other animals have um, much better federal uh, regulations pre- um, protecting them, both um, in slaughter and in transport. And chickens are left off of that, and it just feels like the the uh, the situation for chickens right now requires that um, that groups like the ASPCA get involved because we're seeing that time and again they're just not getting the kind of protection that they need, and that extends to consumers. So, you know, just like in the case of Foster Farms, it, it doesn't necessarily Yes, the USDA um, has a role in that, but it also just those foster farms chickens are fast-growing chickens, and they're arriving at those slaughterhouses covered in fecal matter. And, um, you know, we we saw the connection there pretty quickly. Um, It stems all the way back to the farm. And yet Foster Farms is supposed to be one of the good guys. Um, Daisy, we're going to take a short break right now, a 30-second sponsor drop. We'll be right back with Daisy Freund from the ASPCA. We're going to talk about uh, the Humane Methods of Slaughter Act and the 24-hour transport rule, both of which have been on the books for a long time, but strangely don't include poultry. So we'll be right back. Stay tuned. The following program has been brought to you by Route 11 Potato Chips. 
From the moment Route 11 potato chips dropped their first batch of chips back in the early days of 1992, they understood their destiny as a high-quality producer. Instead of succumbing to the frenzy of mass production, they took advantage of their small size and made chipping a personal art form. The payoff was immediate. An incredible potato chip. With a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. In this world of uncertainty that we live in, Route 11 Potato Chips believes comfort food should be just that. Know where your food comes from. For more information, visit rt11.com. Okay, we're back. Uh, Dave, we are back. It is uh, What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights with me, Katie Kiefer. And in the studio with me is my friend and co-host, not co-host, but co-host of another program, uh, Sari Kamen. We're talking Hello. with uh, Daisy Freund of the ASPCA about the Truth Hello. About Chicken initiative that the ASPCA has launched recently. And um, we were just about to dig into uh, the Humane Methods for Livestock Slaughter Act and also the 28-hour rule, which has been on the books since 1904, but which uh, apparently carries no enforcement whatsoever and uh, I must say that some of the materials that your colleague Suzanne sent me about that petitions that have gone into uh, USDA and FSIS that would be the Food Safety Inspection Services folks um, you know uh, indicate that these the poultry is just simply completely ignored. I don't understand for an industry, like how the industry got away with this basically is what I'm seeing here. I'm seeing like it's a big industry. They kill 9 billion birds a year. It's a gigantic part of our meat export, um, not to mention what we consume here in the United States. And uh, and yet somehow there is really almost no regulation whatsoever. We can dig into why that is at another time. But I wanted to talk a little bit about the what – you know, when you were talking about one of the things that makes animals sick, it's also the stress. And the stress that animals uh, s- survive, if they do, in transport is really shocking. And then a lot of times they get to the slaughterhouse. And because the chain speed or the line speed through which they are moving through the process is so fast, many of them are actually boiled alive. This was in the Washington Post in October where they, uh, here's a quote from it, over the past five years, an annual average of 825,000 chickens and 18,000 turkeys were boiled alive because uh, the shackling process, the bloodletting process failed to execute properly, basically because the line speed is so fast. And I mean, I know I'm like going a mile a minute here, but I also want to just bring in the fact that there's this, you know, humane, uh, sorry, the, the HACCP uh, plan that's sort of been souped up. It's called HIMP, H-I-M-P. Um, I can tell you what the acronym is. Daisy, you know what I'm talking about, right? I know it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so HIMP, uh, I actually wrote it down because we've, I've had a couple of um, programs about it, and I'm going to have a lot more. It's called HACCP Inspection Models Project, and it's supposedly going to, essentially it says it's going to take the USDA inspectors off the line and into the end of the line where they will swab for microbes, meanwhile speeding up the chain from 145 birds per minute uh, to 190 or 175. I've seen many different, but in any case, um, so all of this stuff has an impact on the, the, the disease vector of the large, the fast growing chicken, uh, the poor methods of transport, and then the um, birds coming into the slaughterhouse very dirty. They do get scalded. I mean, you'd be surprised. They get scalded because they, I mean, after they're dead, theoretically, to get their feathers off. So just as an aside, how come that doesn't kill the bacteria? Because there's just so damn much of it. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I Good think answer. that's the easy answer. Yeah. <laughs> and there's so much in the environment. They bring it in on their feathers. Um, they bring it in 
uh, in their skin. They've, they've got these open wounds. Um, they're, they're, it's in their, their intestinal tract as well, yes. of course. You know, birds carry certain bacteria. Um, it's, it, it's a, it's of, if, of all of them, it feels like we should be paying the most attention to, to chickens, given I the know. quantity and the risk. Um, yeah. Well, exactly. I'm hoping that you know we can all work together on on raising this awareness and uh, sort of forcing the government into being more um, methodical about monitoring the poultry industry. So when we talk about the 28 hour rule, that is for those of you who don't know, it's animals are supposed to allow to be allowed to rest for a minimum of five to six hours after 28 hours of transport, during which time they are not given food or water for obvious reasons. So that's 28 hours in a truck or a car uh, or a train. Uh, and it was written originally for railroad transport and it has never switched over to truck transport, which is how we, uh, tr- you know, how we move animals around most of the time now. And so there is no, essentially no enforcement. If there, is that an aspect of your Truth About Poultry program? Are you uh, bringing to light the fact that these animals are severely stressed? There's a lot of mortality in the trucks. There's a lot more bacteria in the trucks because of the way they're transported. Is that a big part feature of your program, or are you focusing more on the breeding aspect? You know, we're really featured. Uh, we're really focusing rather on farm because, as you're as you're stating, you know, there's. Um, there are some federal laws that protect farm animals. Um, they're not particularly uh, strong, but there are some, but none of them apply to poultry and none of them um, apply to on-farm. There are no laws protecting farm animals on the farm, no federal ones. Um, and that's really why we've chosen to focus on farm because there's really very few ways to um, to protect those animals. We need more eyes on them. We need more, more pressure on the industry to, to uh, do better for these animals. But that said, um, you know, I've mentioned stress before. Um, stress is definitely playing a role uh, in both both the welfare concerns that we have and also the human health concerns. Anytime we're uh, consuming an animal that's highly stressed, um, that means that their, their immune system is compromised um, and right. there, there are problems there. And definitely the transport issue um, is causing stress. You know that the number one uh, cause of anti-mortem, so pre-slaughter uh, condemnation of these birds is, is that they're dead on arrival. So, right. um, you know, they're crammed into these trucks. And, and what's kind of amazing is that uh, they come off of the crates and they get put onto these conveyor belts and then right up into the shackles. And at no point are they even looking at whether that bird can walk, you know, whether it can, can move freely on its own. In other cases, like cattle, uh, it's a it's a problem for a cow to be what they call a downer because that's a risk of various other diseases like mad cow disease. Absolutely. Um, Those animals are taken out of the supply chain right away. Same with pork. Yeah. Um, I want to go right to the poultry industry though, because the poultry industry is very atypical in the sense that, I mean, I think pork farming is becoming more like poultry, but the poultry industry is the most highly integrated meat industry in the whole sector of animal Mm -hmm. agriculture. And by that, I mean that the companies like Tyson will own the birds, own the feed. Um, They won't own the poop, which Mm -hmm. I've discussed (laughs) in the past, (laughs) which is a big problem with contract farming, actually. That's That's a whole different story. But, you know, the fact that it's integrated like this, they and and it's only four. It's really sort of down to about four major suppliers that control almost the entire poultry industry. Um, right. Who who have you been working with Tyson, for example, to address some of these concerns? Are they are you seeing them? Uh, you know, an entity like Tyson showing any interest in uh, 
changing up some of their genetics or adding more space or, you know, paying their contract workers to expand their space or give them less birds and pay them more for it. Or because, I mean, it really comes down to also the farmers who are barely making a living on this between the loans they have to take out for their shelter for the birds and then managing the manure, all the other aspects that come into that. Yeah, I mean, there's so much in there. It's just there's so much to say about this industry and chicken in general. Um, but really, just to start with the contract farming, I mean, that's obviously that's not a, a focus for the ASPCA because we are focused on trying to, to improve the lives of the animals involved, but it's it's inextractable in a way. I mean, yeah. both humans and chickens are really under such pressure in the system to produce, 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 and we know that there are certain... Um, producers who actually, you know, the, the way that it works is that you get paid more for having a fatter bird. So they're right. really incentivized not to focus on the well-being of the birds themselves, um, but to cram as many as they can in there and to do whatever it takes, whether it's antibiotics or whatever else. You know, and those those edicts all kind of come down from the industry and the contract farmers are left kind of in the middle without a lot of leeway to do anything for these animals. They're following orders. So we definitely are aware of that. We're focused on um, pressuring the the large integrators. Um, we're being very clear. You know, you were laughing about the factory farming and the way we refer to it, but there is a difference, and we know it. And um, we're really focused on on that factory farming and all of the animal welfare problems that go along with focusing on efficiency at the cost of humans and and animals. Um, and we feel like, you know. The, what we're, the solution we're advocating for here, a slower-growing bird raised in, in better conditions, more space, natural light, um, not only does that improve the lives of the birds, but in Europe where these birds are being raised um, and there's windows in the sheds now because that helps encourage the birds' movement and it dries out the litter and it has all these wonderful uh, you know, benefits, it, we've also heard from European farmers that it's a better quality of life for them because they're not working in dark you know, pits, they're, they're able to see light when they're in there. They're able to actually observe the birds and find the ones that need attention or um, are in, in really poor shape. Um, so anyway, it's, it's definitely a better work environment, environment for them. Um, and we're always looking for more independent farmers who are out there and who are already raising slower-growing birds um, and can speak to the, to the benefits of doing so. I mean, we've got great quotes up on um, ASPCA.org from, from farmers who are saying they've bred the bird out of the bird. And, um, you know, and it's such a, it's such a better experience to um, raise a slower-growing bird for me because so much of my work would have been lost at the end of their lives when they died from a heart attack or, right. you know, kind of went down from the various ailments that they suffer from. Um, yeah. And we found that that industry and the, the groups that we're working with, we're kind of working along the whole chain. So we're talking to breeders, we're talking to um, retailers, producers, individual farmers, um, you know, some of the smaller farmers, medium-sized farmers who are already doing things like this. And, and everybody's pretty receptive because I think everybody realizes that something's got to change. There's been a lot of focus on chickens this year in particular um, and on some of those foodborne illnesses. And I think, um, you know, the industry's already trying to put all kinds of labels on these packages that, um, you know, some of them are, are meaningful and some of them are not. And so that's both, that's a double-edged sword. It means that there's a, it's harder out there a little bit for a consumer, but obviously the industry knows what consumers are looking for and what they want to see. And so when, when we come around, we have the ASPCA has a mostly meat-eating membership. Um, we're a very moderate organization. We're really looking for a solution-oriented uh, kind of approach to this problem. And I, I feel like we've had a great reception. It's just going to be a matter of, um, you know, 
educating those consumers and continuing to work with corporations that to me is the is the real like you can these corporations okay they're seeing the writing on the wall i mean companies like chipotle uh and other food chains i noticed the other day that uh, panera bread was advertising antibiotic free chicken sandwiches i mean so it's Mm -hmm. really it's penetrating in a big way in terms of retailers um and in terms of uh industry but i wonder like when when the pedal is shoved to the metal, are consumers really going to be happy to pay uh, double or triple the amount for chicken than they're used to? I mean, uh, you know, I, I see this when I go to I grocery shop a lot, I cook a lot, and I see a vast disparity in prices. Um, and I think that it's going to be a very tough sell, actually, for people who are, I mean, this country feels entitled to cheap food, entitled to cheap meat. And it's it's a real slog to get people to say, okay, you know, I got to like give the farmer a little more. I got to, you know, pay for a little better for the welfare. And, and when you look at blogs, um, particularly in the trades, you can see that there's a lot of people out there who just don't care. And I, you know, I applaud the ASPCA for trying to drive this consumer awareness campaign because I think ultimately it's really all about what consumers will pay for and what they won't. And if they don't want to participate by forking over the extra five cents a pound or whatever it turns out to be, then, you know, we can talk about this till we're blue in the face, but the industry will not have the impetus to change until people really make it clear with their dollars that they are not going to eat these products unless they reach certain standards of animal welfare, environmental protection, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it's so absolutely the truth. We only have a couple of minutes left, so I want you to promote, promote, promote your website um, and the Poultry Initiative. Tell us where you can find it, what you're going to find on there, um, et cetera. Everything else you want to talk about. In two minutes or less. <laughs> In two minutes or less? Okay. No, I just can't. Um, yeah, I, I'd also be curious to hear what consumers sure. can do to help with your campaign and to help get the yeah. word out to others. Absolutely. Okay. Well, that's the most important thing. And, you know, obviously uh, what you're saying is true that it, it comes down to consumers being educated and really um, knowing the difference and, and demanding better. Um, but, you know, there's a, there's a lot that you can do on our website. If you go to truthaboutchicken.org, um, there's a petition up there, and those signatures have been coming in pretty fast. We just launched this campaign. We're really proud to have 148,000 signatures already up there. Um, we use those uh, those signatures to convince industry that there is demand for this better product out there. Um, we are really encouraging everybody to, to ask questions, do research before buying, ask your supermarket to start carrying slower-growing um, chickens and to really take an, um, special care in looking out for certified products that certified humane animal welfare approved those gap level products that have a third party auditor um, and just keep keep checking back in with truthaboutchicken.org because we have a lot of really exciting things coming up there and you can find out a lot more about what we're doing and um, find a lot of research and, and statistics so you have some fun dinner party conversation topics with your your friends and family. (laughs) It's all about sharing it that way. It's true. I mean, when people talk about it, then stuff happens. It starts penetrating. And it's like, I mean, it's like a public relations campaign. You say it once, they don't hear it. You say it twice, they forget it. The third time they listen. So That's right. (laughs) Exactly. Well, Um, thank you for having me on to say it once. Thank you so much, Daisy. This was great. And also, I wanted to just say one last thing, which is that um, Christopher Leonard is just about to come out with a new book called The Meat Racket, which is an expose of the poultry industry. I'm hoping to have Chris on the show in the next couple of weeks, um, but that's something you too might want to look into, Daisy, if you haven't seen his book yet. It's not quite on the shelves, but you can definitely uh, contact him through his website. It's definitely worthwhile. 
Thank yeah, you so much. It looks, yeah, it looks great, you. right? Thank you, and yes. well, I hope to have you back another time for an update, right? My pleasure, okay. yes. Thank you, Katie. Thank Thanks, you. Sorry. See you next week, Thanks, folks. Susan. Thanks, Sari. Thanks, Joe, and thanks to my sponsor. We'll see you next week with another great show. So long for now. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.